You're listening to a Sin podcast. You can listen to this show live by tuning your radio to 90.7 or online at sin.org.au. Due to some confusing, boring legal stuff, Sin can't podcast any of the knee-slapping tracks that are played on air. To dance along with us in the studio, you'll need to listen live. Tune your radio dial to 90.7 or stream it online at sin.org.au. We at Represent would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the land on which Sin operates, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sin Media respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders, past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Kids should go to school. That's what we're committed to. Why do we want to buy that? 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 Why do we want to buy I've already done a lot of war for the election. The English fought a civil war over this this matter. Don't deal with the nuance of the Canberra bubble. I don't know what to do with it. We have so much money. What we want is more learning in schools and less activism in schools. Issues that perhaps may be controversial today, but 30 years from now, your children, your grandchildren are going to be thankful that you stood up for what it was Represent. 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 You're listening to Represent. You are back on Represent with Mimi, Bridie and George. This week we have a big discussion-based episode, mainly surrounding around the current, I guess, increase of tensions in Russia and Ukraine. Uh, There's a lot to discuss, including the long-term impacts of it, the short-term impacts of it, and everything in between. You're listening to Represent here on... We're back on Sin with Mimi, Bridie, and George. To kick off this week's episode, Bridie's going to be discussing the international response to basically everything that's been happening within the wars of Ukraine and Russia. Bridie. Yeah, exactly. So at first, you know, we all know that sanctions were imposed before Putin chose to invade or gave the go-ahead, which included quite limited sanctions on oligarchs and Russian banks and financial firms. But um, since the invasion, there's been a whole raft of sanctions. There have been so many different ones that have been introduced. So the EU and the US, among other countries, have banned Russian access to the SWIFT banking system just the other day, which processed 38 million payments per day in 2020, despite none of us ever having heard of it. Um, The ICC... um, or the International Criminal Court. So the UK and 37 other countries have referred war crime allegations by Russia to the ICC, which has allowed the prosecutor to access Ukraine and try and find out whether there actually are war crimes happening. The IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank are set to approve $758 million in emergency funding for Ukraine. And Russia's been kicked out of a lot of indexes used by fund managers to decide where to invest after a provider's declared them uninvestable. Regional countries such as Belarus, Poland, Moldova, Lithuania and more have had quite different responses. So Belarus has been actively helping Russia and housing Russian troops, whereas Poland, Moldova, Lithuania, Romania and Georgia have been vocally in favour of Ukraine and they've been throwing their borders open and welcoming all Ukrainian citizens, whether they need safe transit or a stay. 
So the UN General Assembly voted overwhelmingly to condemn Russia's invasion and call for the immediate withdrawal of its forces. So 141 out of 193 member states voted for the resolution, with 35 abstentions and five votes in favour, including Russia, Belarus, Syria, North Korea and Eritrea. And those, like, the countries that abstained or voted against, um, it might seem like there was a lot, but that's, like, one of the most unanimous decisions they've ever really come to. It's very rare for all those countries to kind of, you know, only, like, Syria and North Korea and these, you know, all these kind of states. It's, like, it's pretty rare for, like, China not to take sides with, you know, Mm. Russia. Even though, like, they abstained, it's still... It's a pretty big deal that they didn't. Um, It's not a vote in favour. No, exactly. It, It definitely isn't. And... Especially when you consider China's, you know, and Taiwan, you'd think that they'd, they've been, they haven't exactly called them out. Like, there's been all that confusion between them calling it an invasion or a war in China. But, like, at the end of the day, you'd think that China, based on their position right now with Taiwan and the, you know, undoubted future ambitions to invade it, you'd think that they'd be throwing all their support behind Russia. Definitely. Yeah, so there's even more. So the UK Foreign Secretary has said that she has a hit list of oligarchs to sanction. Um, Australia and Canada have backflipped from providing non-lethal to lethal aid funding to Ukraine and the EU. And with regards to the EU, there's a whole lot that's happened around there. So Ukraine's requested to join formally. Um, The EU's banning Russian state media and all Russian airlines, which basically increases fuel costs and flight costs astronomically for Russia and makes it essentially a real pain to fly around. Um, And they're bypassing normal asylum processes in anticipation of 7 million refugees entering. So for the EU, it's been a bit of a wake-up call in terms of how they value their security. So now the EU has it's become very clear that it will have to unite in order to protect their eastern borders. And the consequences of this can already be seen in Germany, which is spending over 2% of its GDP on its military at the moment, which is strikingly different to the country's previous cautious defence policy, which had banned weapon sales to conflict areas. And just with that, when these countries are selling weapons, like, yes, they're inadvertently supporting, like, they're indirectly kind of helping Ukraine, but at the same time... If you look in the minds of, like, Putin or, like, in his eyes, what constitutes assisting Ukraine to what extent? Like, what what enables one country to provide these, you know, weapons? Does Putin think of that as being directly involved in the warfare or does he think it's just, you know, kind of like a Syrian proxy war? Like, at what stage does he consider it to be genuine combat from, you know, aided by, like, America or Australia? Yeah, it's a really good question. So there's also a lot to talk about with regards to um, the EU's reliance on Russian gas. So it'll likely lead to an increase in renewable energy um, and LNG as well, instead of using the Nord Stream pipeline, which has been banned, not banned, but its approval has been stopped. And perhaps most importantly, the EU will grow. Ukraine has signed an application to join the EU, as I said, and the president of the European Commission has expressed his solidarity with the country, stating that Ukraine is one of us and we want them in. So the last country to join the EU was Croatia in 2013. It's kind of crazy that it takes a whole invasion to get accepted into the EU for these countries to actually publicly, you know, want them in. Like, I guess to an extent it was just about, you know, Russia preventing them from joining the EU and NATO. But, like, at the same time, does it... 
So these applications have to be accelerated just off the fact that there's been an invasion. Totally. Yeah, it just seems like the the Ukraine has been, not the Ukraine, but that Ukraine has been um, indicating that it really wants to join for so long, so many years. And um, it's only now that it's kind of become clear that it's something that maybe needs to happen. So there have been global protests all around the world basically every weekend. Um, and with regards to China, they haven't vocally condemned Russia. But as we said, not actively voting with them says quite a lot. So according to the New York Times, uh, China told Russian officials in early February not to invade Ukraine, um, which was quoting Biden... Uh, sorry, Biden administration officials and some European officials citing an intelligence report. So this indicates, allegedly, that senior Chinese officials had a level of knowledge about Russia's intentions to invade before they launched. However, a spokesman for the Chinese embassy in Washington said that the claims were speculations without any basis and are intended to blame shift and smear China. So these are huge sanctions, guys. Is there anything that we think is actually going to stop Putin? My most worrying part of it is that Putin would have understood these sanctions before they came in. I think that like he wouldn't have invaded Ukraine without the presumption that there would be some kind of action taken against Russia. So the fact that he's persisting with this is showing that he's willing to take the baggage that comes along with the invasion at all costs. It's kind of that like economics slash cultural ride that he's kind of overriding the cultural impacts of invading Ukraine over the economic ties they might bring to this country. And then that goes on into Russian media as well. Um, obviously, like I think the Russian Times has been banned um, by most Western nations and things like that. But they're basically reporting that it's not you know Putin's fault that these sanctions are coming in. It's the Western fault. It's their problems. They're the you know, they've called the Ukrainians the neo-Nazis of the world. They're saying that, you know, every single allegation you can come up with, everything is just a deflection from Putin. Everything is just, oh, it's the Westerners that are putting all these sanctions on us. This is the reason, you know, your your food is going to cost you a million bucks. This is the reason all these problems are happening to you. But at the end of the day, it's kind of, you know, you were kind of the aggressor and initiating all of this. Um, so I think there's that aspect which has to be acknowledged as well. But just like touching back on, Putin's like rhetoric in this situation he's made like wild accusations of Ukrainians recently especially saying that they're not battling to get Ukraine back that he's just battling to rescue Russians who were in there to save them from the neo-nazis that are in there um what do you kind of make of that (laughs) I mean yeah Mimi do you want to go first I know she speaks um (laughs) well I'll um, I've done a bit of reading, a bit of listening today. Um, like the neo-Nazi propaganda stuff that Putin's putting out there, obviously it's like vastly exaggerated like propaganda always is. But I was reading today that like the kernel of truth, you could say in it, is that like the Ukraine government did, I guess employ is the word, a lot of like people who like MP are they the, yeah members of parliament who had like some of those neo-nazi values because they needed to you know keep their um territory and security and that was kind of some of the only ways to do it because those people were um valued members 
in um, Parliament and stuff. So it, like, comes from that idea, but obviously it's extremely exaggerated and, like, not really true. Yeah, um, shout out to the ABC News Daily for Sam. telling us about it. <laughs> we love Sam. <laughs> yeah, Sam's, Sam's Sam a legend around here. Yeah, Bridie, did you have something to add to that? I just think it's so interesting to kind of get inside Putin's head and think, like, why is he kind of choosing this? Like, out of all the routes that he could have gone down, he's just choosing this weird neo-Nazi kind of rhetoric and it just doesn't seem to make sense to me. But maybe that's just me. Yeah, well, maybe did you have something to say? I was just saying that, like, I kind of, for some reason, aren't surprised that he's kind of gone down that path. I think that, like... This whole thing, like, I think you have to take... He has to take an extreme route if he wants to, like, get what he wants. And I think he knows that I think he is playing to extremes in all ways that he's been dealing with, like, threatening nuclear war. Like, he's obviously deciding that he needs to, like, target the extreme point of view to, like, seem like it's worth it, maybe? I think a lot of people, like, miscalculated Putin as well um, in the sense where, like, he was... uh, Like, no one would call him a pacifist, but no one really thought that he'd go to this extent... I, I guess, like, there was an element of probably, like, Americans being a bit arrogant in the sense where mm. their consistent, um, you know, pers- pursuing of NATO and, you know, increasing NATO around Europe and Eastern Europe especially has kind of come to bite them in the back at the end of the day. Um, so, I don't know, because Putin historically, I don't, I might be wrong on this, but he's only really, like, gone into, like, Bulgaria and, like, not he hasn't done much invading for his whole tenure that he's been in there. He's done a lot of proxy wars, but you wouldn't call him a pacifist, but you wouldn't exactly call him, you know, an imperialist by any sense. So it's yeah, I think there's been a lot of under under understanding of Putin in general. But yeah, um that was us reflecting on the international community. Um drifted off a little bit there, but nevertheless, um we'll be discussing more about Russian-Ukraine saga with Mimi after this. We're back here on Sin with Mimi, Brady, and George. Coming up next, Mimi's going to be discussing the ins and outs of everything to do with Mimi. Um, so I guess maybe if you're like me, you've been wondering, where is this going to go? Like, what's going to happen? And I've read an article in the New York Times. This is Thomas L. Friedman's three scenarios as to where this is all going to proceed to. So breaking it down in three scenarios, we have the first scenario, which is definitely the worst one and the one that we don't want to happen. Um, Putin will do whatever it takes, whether that be killing as many people as necessary, um, destroying Ukraine's infrastructure to end Ukraine's status as an independent state. Um, Friedman points out how this scenario would obviously lead to war crimes. Um, but I guess for Western nations to accuse Russia of this or attempt to retaliate could very well end with the threat of the nuclear war, which obviously would just be disastrous and no one wants that. Next is definitely kind of like the economic situation or scenario. So, the idea is that the economic sanctions would work and the sanctions we've imposed on Russia would actually start to make an impact on the Russian economy and it would force Russia and Ukraine to come to an agreement. This would most likely look like Russia controlling the parts of eastern Ukraine that they've already kind of taken over 
and they would have the economic sanctions imposed upon them lifted by um, Western countries. Ukraine would agree to not join NATO and it would be able to retain its independence. Um, the last situation or scenario situation is definitely the best one, but it's definitely the most unlikely, and it would be that Russian civilians, civilians outs Putin from his own office. Um, at this point, Russia, um, Russian civilians, their freedom is pretty much now at a cost, um, and having Putin as their current and future leader really would be quite detrimental to them, I guess. Friedman states that they will share the same isolation cell as Putin, so they'll be impacted by the economic sanctions. Obviously, um, the most wealthy of Russian civilians will be mostly impacted by that. Um, they also will have freedom. They won't have... Any, they'll have travel restrictions, so their freedom to travel will be very limited. Again, probably impacting those of a higher socioeconomic background. They won't be able to travel. They won't be able to send their children to universities outside of Russia. They won't be able to visit... A, um, uh, property that they might own out of Russia. So obviously it's infecting more of like a high economic group. But what scenario, guys, do you think is most likely to play out? George. Um, I Honestly, based on the what happened recently with Putin playing the nuclear weapons card, um, where he basically... Where he basically... <laughs> We basically just said, um, sorry, a bit of a confusion in the studio, but um, we just went on about how nuclear weapons could be used as a, I guess, tactic, um, which would not benefit Russia because if your neighbouring country is nuclear bombed, like, hasn't that got consequences for your own country? Is that not going to affect, you know, the toxins going in the air, going into your country? I don't know. But nevertheless, the sh it shows a sign of how far he's willing to go um, in regards to, you know, winning at all costs, variety. Yeah, I think it's most likely that it'll be some sort of um, middle ground between the dirty compromise and the disaster. So I think that the economic sanctions will end up having, you know, quite a drastic effect. I think I just read that the ruble is currently worth, like, one US cent. So I think that um, there's going to be a really massive impact on the Russian economy. And I think that will influence Russia and Ukraine to come to an agreement a bit quicker. But I'm not really sure that it's going to be like a very rapid resolution. Like, I do think that it will kind of carry on for quite a long time. Yeah, well, that's why initially I would have thought that, like, I didn't, I thought that diplomacy was strong enough to get us away from the invasion actually happening. Um, so, like, I haven't got a lot of faith in diplomacy at this rate is basically what I'm trying to say. I think that Russia, you know, they're kind of at the, you know, win at all costs, you know, the ends justify the means at this rate. And based on the fact that, you know, the invasion isn't probably going as well as Putin would have initially wanted, like it's not going as quickly and it was probably underestimating the Ukrainian defense, um, it's going to lead to him, well, what the experts or analysts say is it's going to lead to him taking more drastic options in terms of, yes, we flagged the nuclear weapons before, but also just in general, like, he will maybe instruct the soldiers not to be as kind with the civilians, not that they were kind, but, like, he might, there might be a, a bit more loose force of artillery is basically what I'm trying to say. So I can't really see any compromises happening within them, to be honest. Mimi? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I am leaning to the dirty compromise. Sorry, I can't not laugh when I say it. I definitely think that economic sanctions will have, like, a chance of working, but I agree with the fact that at this point it does feel like he just keeps doing things that he has nothing to like, lose just for. just keeps digging himself Yeah, so, like, why would he stop? I don't know. But, I mean, hopefully they'll work. So that's all I have to say. I guess a lot of it depends on, like, what his end aim is. Like, as far as we're concerned, we don't really know what his actual end aim is. Like, is it to just get Ukraine or is it to, like, you know, get the entire Soviet Union back together, get the get the boys back together? Get I don't, the band back yeah, together. Yeah, get, get the squad back. <laughs> I reckon he wants the band back together. I think so, too. He misses them. Well... Like, the KGB? The KGB. He, I reckon he used to be like a secret police servant. That he just, was. Like, yeah, he was. He, KGB. he oh. was like head of it or something before yeah. he went into like Before he politics. went into politics. Oh, okay. I guess. Huh. <laughs> the more you know. Well, maybe maybe that's what he's after. Maybe he misses a bit of that old action that he bit used to be Bit of espionage? Yeah, a bit, bit of, of espionage. Yeah. Never hurts anyone. Mm, I mean, so true. It does hurt some people. <laughs> yeah, many people. <laughs> but like at the same time, he... Like, off memory, I think his his dad was, like, a World War Two, like, injured veteran or something. Mm. And his mum was, like, you know, a lower-class um, income earner. Mimi, I don't know what you're going to say, but... <laughs> and his it. granddad was a cook for Stalin. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. So he's there come from uh, pretty high places. History yeah, lessons with Mimi. I love it. Um, but, like... <laughs> I'm going to oppose you there because regardless of that, like, he grew up pretty poor and he, like, probably realised, like, how bad the Soviet Union was and he realised, like, how much impact it had on people. But, I don't know, maybe he just doesn't care because he's that rich right now. He's, like, a massive billionaire with all these oligarchs and everything. So, I don't know, maybe just, maybe he just wants the, squ- he wants to squat up again. Passing over to George now, um, and he's going to talk about how far can Putin be pushed? Yeah, well, kind of going back off your segment a little bit, maybe. Um, it's kind of just seeing, you know, the different scenarios that will cause different solutions. Um, basically, we know, economically speaking, um, as I kind of alluded to before, we we don't really know how far Putin can go with these economic sanctions. Like, we know that, yes, the economy is going to be ruined, and yes, like, you know, they've got all these sanctions, all this economic hard hardage coming up. Um, but, like, there's no... He knew that these sanctions were coming, which is the major, which is the most dangerous thing. It's like it's like that saying when you know the most dangerous person is the man who has nothing to lose. That's definitely not the quote, but it's something like that. The moral of it is there, <laughs> but that's basically what I think Putin is going for at this stage. I think he just doesn't really care what you know sanctions come his way. He's like, bring them on, I'll take them on. Um, but apart from that, there has been a bit of you know. He surrounded himself a lot by yes-men, which is something we've kind of found out, um, which means that even when these economic sanctions come in, um, you know, his economic advisors aren't brave enough to stand up to him. Not that they're not... It's not even that they're not brave enough. It's just they can't actually say no. And that intertwines with his pro- with the protests that are going on as well. Like, I saw a video of, like, this you know, 90-year-old grandma who was protesting, and she was even being arrested by the police. It's like, it stops at no one at this stage. Everyone is getting arrested if you speak up to him. It's like an authoritarian... Well, it's not like an authoritarian regime. It is an authoritarian well, regime. Yeah, I, I guess it is, I guess. Yeah, Brady. <laughs> okay, Mimi, thanks for that great input you just gave us just then. Um, but yeah, re- regardless of that, um, there's also the military, you know, how far he can go military-wise. 
Um, and, like, you know, invasion is a pretty big deal, guys, but, like, a nuclear invasion is even a bigger deal. And the fact that he's flagged that already just shows how, um, you know, Fi is willing to go in that sense. Is it just talk? No one really knows, I guess. Um, it could just be a bit of, you know, trying to one-up each other um, and just show the power that they have. Um, that being said, um, it's also how far does he take other countries' interpretations of the war as well? Um, in terms of, does he see Australia as a major enemy now because we are, you know, supporting Ukraine a lot? Does he see UK as, you know, an even bigger enemy as well because they're supporting Ukraine? It's just, there's really no end in sight. And I'm just like, you know, I'm just curious to see how far this goes. And, you know, I guess I'll ask you guys, does this, like, take Europe one step closer into a Russian-NATO a Russian NATO conflict based on, you know, the fact that all these sanctions aren't working and, you know, there seems to be no end in sight. Righty? Yeah, I think it's definitely sort of one of the outcomes is probably going to be a Russian NATO conflict. I mean, Russia's always been so uncomfortable with the idea of NATO because it was established to counter the USSR. So there's just no way that I think that Putin can be in power in Russia and that NATO can exist for, and for him to be comfortable with that. Like, I don't think that's an achievable goal. I don't think that's something that's ever going to happen. If, like... Okay, this isn't me saying this should happen, but I know that there's, you know, some, you know, Alex Jones conspiracists on Fox News that are saying that... Um, the late-tier media, that is, um, that are saying that basically they should assassinate Putin. Um, and obviously, for any common sense, that wouldn't work because that's just, you know, that's just going to start World War III. Um, but, like, what I'm leading to is maybe a change of leadership. Would that, you know, change the course of events if that was to happen? I mean, it would change the course of events, but is never going to resign. <laughs> yeah, but how do we get this change of leadership? Without an assassination, which is giving... It's giving Franz Ferdinand in 1914, <laughs> you know? I mean, I don't know. Maybe, like, maybe Putin just, like, has, I don't know, confessed to his sins or something. He's just going to... Really, forward. you reckon, yeah. he, like, one day he'll just wake up and go, damn. Damn, maybe like, I shouldn't just... Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, maybe... <laughs> I don't know, Mimi, what do you think? Um, I mean, maybe he will wake up one day and just go, oh my gosh, I've been such a bad person lately. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, well, we're obviously big optimists on the show here. <laughs> that being said, um, I, I just, I have to say something, like, this is taking a complete dive from what we were talking about before, but... The situation that I'm seeing from the media and, like, refugees and how they're being treated of different colours, um, it's just, it's so disheartening to see how... I'll, I'll throw a little vox pop of, you know, all these different media outlets that are kind of reporting on the Russia-Ukraine scandal. I'll just put it in now. This is not a developing third world nation. This is Europe. These are prosperous middle class people. These are not people trying to get away from areas in North Africa. They look like any European family that you would live next door to. What could be a difference here from other conflicts, you know, that could seem very far away, you know, in Africa or Middle East or whatever. I mean, these are Europeans that we're seeing uh, being killed. This isn't a place, with all due respect, um, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan. You know, this is a relatively civilized, uh, relatively European, I have to choose those words carefully too, uh, city where you wouldn't expect that or hope that it's going to happen. 
so yeah, basically that just shows like, you know, he like media outlets they think that oh it should be, you know, like Middle Eastern countries, North African countries, they should be accustomed. This is their way of living. It's it's their uncivilization that's been brought into the world. But when it ha- happens to like a white civilized country, oh no, all these poor children that are dying, all these, all these um disastrous little you know. All this destruction that's happening within this country suddenly matters so much more than it did before. It's just, it's disgusting to me. And it really shows, you know, how, like, in Western society, how we value certain lives based over other lives, purely based on either, like, their religion or the colour of their skin. It's, like, it's pretty disgusting. And then that just leads on to the to the refugees that are being treated in Ukraine. And, like, in Poland specifically, like, these countries are letting all these refugees come in. But at the same time, these are the same countries that initially, like, their governments were elected because they were anti-immigration, because they didn't want Syrians coming into their country. Yet they're the first ones when they're white and they've got blonde hair and blue eyes hey, suddenly these are good people who won't, you know, supposedly destroy our economy. They won't take up all of our public sectors. They won't, you know, run crimes in the streets. Suddenly the narrative just changes all up. And it's just, like, it infuriates me because it's just, like, it shows humanitarianism only works when you're of a certain demographic. And it's just, like, I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I totally agree. Like, everything you've said then is totally, yeah. It's just, it doesn't show any morale from, like, the... I don't know, like, the Poland government has historically been so anti-immigrant and, like, all these Eastern European nations, like, they've... Some of them are, like, you know, borderline white nationalists. And, Mm. like, now, you know, suddenly now, oh, refugees are good for our economy. Now, suddenly, you know, we should help one another. Where was that when, you know, Syrians were having a 10-year civil war? Where was that, like, when the Taliban... I mean, they're still having a 10-year civil war. They're still having a 10-year civil war. Where was that for, like, the Taliban when they were invading Afghanistan? Oh, Australia, we gave them a couple thousand refugees can come to Australia. I heard Dom- Dominic Perita say that he was going to, you know, use every avenue to help Ukrainians. I guarantee you that D- Dominic Perita was not saying the same thing about the Afghanis that were being invaded by the Taliban. Mimi, give me some light. <laughs> I mean, he definitely isn't saying the same thing. He definitely has, you know, refugees stuck in the Park Street Hotel who have been there for years and years and years. So, yeah, he's definitely, it's very double-sided. Yeah, there must be some weird thing about Ukrainians that no one can find out that's, you know, makes them so much better than, you know, the Afghanistanians. I wonder what it is. But, yeah, that's a depressing note that we're leaving on that. Sorry to do do that to you guys. But, anyway, um, I think we'll wrap it up with another... But we've got to stop what we're doing right now because we actually have quite an important person just call in. Um... We've been looking for an interview with him for a while now, and um, when he called us, we just we were in a state of shock. But he's on the line now, guys, so I'm going to put him through. Here's Putin with Wait, why he started the war. I know. We I know. Putin? Putin, are you there? Are you there? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You stopped him. He was just saying he was going to take his forces out of Ukraine. Keep him. Put him back on. Wait, keep going, Putin. Wait, he's resigning as leader of Russia as well? Yeah, I know. Oh, my God. It's pretty shocking for people who might not be able to translate this right now. He's basically said that, yeah, yeah, it's it's finished. 
it's, wow. it's, over. it's over. You've heard it here first on Represent. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realise, like, Puna was so involved with the community radio of young people in Victoria scene. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's actually, he's actually put quite a bit of funding and it's quite, like, a niche. You know, when, before he joined the KGB, he really dreamed of being on the radio. On the radio. Oh, wow. So, in Melbourne, too. In Melbourne, it's kind of, like, a, an, an important cause close to his heart, you know? Wow. The more you know. Yeah, I think that leads us. Go. Yeah, well, I think that leads us well into our conspiracy theory segment of the week. Mimi, what, <laughs> did you have something today? Yeah, I think you did. Oh yeah, because that wasn't a conspiracy at all. No, that, that was, was totally what, what true. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the phone to the UN General Assembly right now. Yeah, we've got a lot of important phone calls, guys, so we're going to have to go. Thanks for tuning in to Represent here on Sin. We've been your hosts this week, George, Mimi and Bridie. You can keep up to date with us and let us know what you thought of the show on our socials. Find us at Sin Represent on Twitter, Instagram and very soon, TikTok. <laughs> That's not been wholeheartedly agreed on. By no, it's on definitely show. happening. It's, a a, it's been agreed on. I feel like it's there's been a veto that Do you want people that. to know your name? I think people already know my name. We've all yeah, of your like 53 Twitter followers. Hey, it's 56, okay. Okay, it's 56 and now. It's... He must have gone up through in the course of an hour. Yeah. If you want to hear this episode again or catch up on any of our old episodes, you can find our podcast on Omni at Represent or Spotify. And remember, everyone, to stay, stay political. political. <laughs> This was a Sydney Media podcast where young people run the show.